And welcome back to Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory, along with Charlie Winfield. And boy, the clock just keeps on ticking, Charlie. Countdown to the opening weekend of 2021 baseball is right around the corner. State going out to Arlington. Now we can say next weekend as they'll take on Texas, Texas Tech, and TCU. And, man, I tell you what, it just feels so good. Today feels great here in Starkville, but it's about to, the worm's about to turn over the next couple of days. Yeah, it's one of those situations. If you were to look up the temperature right now, you feel pretty good. It's when you start pigging out a few days, that five-day forecast, I've said the weather hates an opening day. It absolutely it does. just hates an opening day. It's going to punish us. Well, the opening day for softball is this weekend. And I was asked just the other day by Benny Ashford, who is our producer with the SEC Network Plus, and he says, hey, you know, Anthony Craven, of course, does a lot of the SEC Plus stuff for softball. And, of course, he's the public address announcer for men's and women's basketball. And Benny says, hey, Anthony's got basketball on Saturday. Can you fill in and broadcast the doubleheader for softball on Saturday? And I was like, absolutely. And then I saw where the high is 31. The high is going to be 31 on Saturday. And all these people that send us text messages early in the season and say, man, you guys have got it made. You're up there in the heat. Or when it's hot, man, you guys have got the air conditioning. That ain't the way it works. No, that window opens, unfortunately. And the <laughs> it gets cold up there. The, the coldest place in the world. And so, hey, we're, we're a couple of weeks away from opening up the season. Everybody keeps on talking about the the pitching staff and trying to settle in on lineups right now. We talked to Josh Lovelady this past Sunday with our Sunday coffee and kind of got his observations about coming into the season. I enjoy talking to Josh. He kind of offers that uh, that young expertise a little bit about what's what's going on behind the scenes. Well, there's something cool, too, about talking to catchers. Yeah. You know, those are guys who understand the game. And, boy, Josh Lovelady certainly understands baseball. It was fun to visit with him. You know what we didn't ask you? I'm going to ask you, Bart. You're talking about the weather. You know, we talk all the time in baseball we have rainouts. Do yep. you believe there ought to be a temperature below which we don't play baseball? Yeah, that's the way I am with golf. If it's below 50 or the wind is over 30 miles an hour, I do not play golf. And here's the thing that we started doing, you know, a few years ago, is if we had a 630 game, and you could tell it was going to be cold. They started moving them up to 3 or 4 o'clock. Back with, at the advent of Twitter, you could move a game time pretty easy. You know, back in those old days, you know, old days, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, when you had a cold game, it always happened at a 6.30 game on a Tuesday night against Memphis or Jackson State or Alcorn State, and you, you're sitting there at 10 o'clock at night saying, what, what am I doing? Yeah, and the thing is, you hate to see – I like the way we adjust around rain, for example. Not only do we do it for heat, but if we see that the rain's going to be here – and by the way, Mississippi State's meteorology group has been very good over the past few years about finding some sweet spots, those times when they don't expect the rain to be here. But, boy, I'm a big believer early in the year, play that thing. Remember we used to play ball games during the week at 3 o'clock? Yes. We used to have a lot of 3 o'clock starts, 3.30 starts. Now they tend to be a little bit later, but – Boy, early in the season, move that thing on up and let's play when it's warm. Yeah, used to play a Tuesday night game, but then on a getaway day on Wednesday, played a 3 o'clock in the afternoon. 
that, and way back, you played the 3 o'clock Tuesday and 3 o'clock on Wednesday, and then you went full-fledged 6.30s. And yeah, those were brutal. But yeah, it's uh, I'm not a I'm not a cold weather guy, and especially I used to have a pair of blue jeans that had the fleece on the inside, the fleece lined blue jeans. But I've gotten so fat now, I can't even put those blue jeans on. And so I guess I'm just going to have to layer up on Saturday when softball starts. Of course, we're brought to you by Farm Bureau. Farm Bureau, go with the home team. Check them out at favorites.com. I talked to my agent, Burt Jones down in Neshoba County just the other day. We were talking about a number of different issues, and I know without doubt that I've got the best coverage and the best customer service that you can possibly have with Farm Bureau. So go with the home team. Check them out, favorites.com. If you're looking for home, casualty, auto, life insurance, whatever you need, those guys are part of your community, and they're in every community in the state of Mississippi. So Go with the home team at Farm Bureau. Okay, Charlie, we're starting with a tournament next week against Texas, Texas Tech, and TCU. You remember the good old days? When I say the good old days, the good old days to me was opening the season down in the Superdome. I love playing in the Superdome, the Metrodome. We played up there one year. I think that was, what, 1991? Uh, We played Florida State, Minnesota, and somebody else. But – I love temperature control climates to start the season. Yeah, so it was 92 that we went up there, I think it was. Had I was off a year. Yeah, Texas A&M, Florida State, Minnesota. Ish. Yeah, so around there. But you know what? If you go back and you look at our record in these season opening classics, it's not that great. No, and that's what's, uh, that's what's kind of interesting. And a couple of those, you look back, and they're coming off of really good seasons. You know, as when you talk about – 1996, you're coming off back-to-back years of not going to the NCAA tournament. Now, that team in 96 eventually went to the NCAA tournament and played in Stanford. But to start that season, we started out you know, 0-3 down in New Orleans, back when you used to play LSU, Tulane, New Orleans. In the Mississippi side, we had you know, State Ole Miss and Southern Miss. Those were great tournaments. I think we went 0-4 that year. We, we lost our first game to Memphis in 96 as well. So we started 0-4, and everybody was hitting the panic button. But, no, you look back, you know, of course, a couple of years ago, we started out, we dropped a three-game set at Southern Miss to open the season. What was that, 2018? We went to North Florida back in 2008, did not play well down there. I'm just thinking of some of these early season tournaments where, like you said, Charlie, we have not played that great on opening day. I'll tell you, one of the ones I do remember was in 2003, second year in the second stint of Coach Ron Polk. We had a Friday night guy by the name of Paul Mahal. Of course, we've talked to Paul several times. But we played Birmingham Southern to start the season, and I did that game. I think Jim was doing basketball somewhere. But uh, Birmingham Southern had a left-hander that just shoved it that night. I mean, and we, we lost 4-1. to one. And everybody's like, oh, my goodness, what in the world? Because we thought we were going to be really good, and we ended up being really good in 2003. But Birmingham Southern came in here. I hate to jump into negative thoughts, man, but everything I'm coming up with is negative. Well, that's like 1990. We went down the Superdome, went one and two. We lost to LSU in New Orleans, a couple of one-run games, come back and beat Tulane. And obviously, that's the year of the Burke Masters Grand Slam, and you push your way on through to Omaha despite what wasn't the best start. I guess what I'm trying to say is this. No matter what happens next weekend, 
even if you win three, we won three in a row in the Superdome one year where we just played extremely well out of the gate. But no matter what happens next weekend, you really can't take too much into account because there's so much baseball to be played. You know, when we lost to Southern Miss in 2018, everybody was like, this this team, I mean, just, just blow it up. I mean, we're, we're not going to be any good. We we're coming off a super regional appearance. We changed coaches after those first three games, and we ended up going to the College World Series. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of baseball to be played after that first weekend. And that first weekend over at uh, – is it Globe Life Park or is it Globe Life Stadium? Globe Life Field. It's Globe Life, Globe Life Field. Okay. When we go over there next week, there's going to be a lot of baseball to be played, and we're going to find out real quick how good we are in – the middle, bottom half of the order. We're going to figure out real quick, is our bullpen depth as good as we think it's going to be? We're going to answer a lot of questions in the first three games of the season. Yeah, we are, but at the same time, looking back like we've talked about, it's not the end of the world if you don't play well. Obviously, you would like to get wins. I should suppose I should say it a little bit differently. It's not the end of the world if you don't win. What you want to be able to do, obviously, is win. But beyond that, you want to go compete. You want to know that you're going toe-to-toe with Texas and TCU and Texas Tech. And if you do that, you can come home. You've got a chance to get some wins and feel pretty good about your team. also like the way that getting out of town helps a team form a little bit. You just form relationships on the road that you can't at home because you're going to be locked up together for several days. I think it's going to be a very valuable experience at the end of the year. Who's your X factor? For me, it's Spencer Price. Because you look back at the the way he ended the season last year, and of course those all those guys getting extra years where last year didn't count was so big. You know, Spencer had the arm trouble, and you hear so many times guys talk about you know coming off of arm surgery and arm injuries. Usually, it's the second year. The first year back, you're just trying to muddle through and get through it. The second year is when you really turn the page. And last year, at the end of the year. Well, the last two games against Texas Tech, it looked like Spencer had really turned the page and became that Spencer Price that we saw in 2017. It's going to be interesting to see how this team is on the back end. And that was one of the things we talked to Josh Lovelady about on Sunday is about so many games when you start talking about the fine line of winning in the SEC and winning against teams that are ranked in the top ten, which you're going to see that first weekend. The games, it's almost like a second game that starts in the seventh inning. Can you win the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings? And how do you back in things in the bullpen in the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings? I think that's one of the reasons that Spencer Price is going to be so key for this team. I think you're absolutely right because the other thing that we talked to Josh about, just the importance of experience in a year where you're going to have a lot of talented players, the importance of having some guys who've been there He's one of those guys who's been around. And I'll tell you the guy, too, that I think is really going to be a factor in this pitching staff is Landon Sims. You know, it takes such a different mentality pitching out of the bullpen than it does a starter. Starters basically have all day to be ready to go. They know they're going to be called. They know they're going to be taking them out. You know, Sims has got some electric stuff, and it's going to be – I think he is the guy who really has a chance to be a big difference maker as this year goes forward. You know, and you hear – some coaches say at times of putting their closer in in the sixth or seventh inning. You know, what's a closer? A guy that you can bring in and what you think is going to be the determining at bat of a game. 
that's where Landon Sims really becomes your second closer is you can hold a Spencer Price, and you can bring Sims out of the bullpen in the sixth or seventh inning when you've got a guy at second or third base when you have to have an out, but he can be that bridge for you from a guy like you know, McLeod or Will Bednar or Eric Sarantola. He can be that bridge to get you from one of those big three arms, Brandon Smith, all the way to Spencer Price. Yeah, and the other guy, too, that we've talked about, you know, he's been around, been around baseball at least, Carlisle Kessler is going to be a really big deal to this team having success this year. Another guy with experience, another guy who's been around. And look, as much as we want to put on Sarantola and Bednar and McLeod, look, there's going to be some days when they aren't feeling as good. Those guys aren't going to roll through this season with a 12-2 and record and uh, never miss a start. It just is statistically improbable. You're going to need somebody to plug some holes. You're going to need somebody to be able to throw with long relief. And I think Kessler could be that guy. Well, we appreciate you hanging out with us for another version of Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau. We'll come back with more. You're listening to Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau. Yeah, welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Time now for our guest line segment, brought to you each week by our friends at Heartland Catfish. Heartland, producing the finest American-quality catfish there possibly is. Over in Itabina, Mississippi, just to the west of Greenwood. So Heartland, you can pick them up at your local grocer and a lot of great restaurants around the south serving that great Heartland catfish. And so the next time you go to the grocery, you want to have that big fish fry no doubt, you've got to pick up that big blue box of Heartland Catfish. And it's time now for our guest line segment brought to you by the fine folks at Heartland Catfish. And let's go to the phones where the voice of the Bulldogs, Jim Ellis, joins us. Jim, 43rd season behind the, the microphone for baseball. And, you know, Charlie and I talked about this last week about the, kind of the excitement of opening day. I know it's an exciting time for you. I mean, just just looking back at, at your career, is it just kind of an extra feeling when you get to this part of the season of getting ready for that first game? Well, I think this year more than, than most because we shut down the season so early. We finished it up, about, I think, what, the 12th of March or something like that last year and had played, uh, you know, just a handful of ball games. I think 16 ball games. So uh, it, it's been a long time for baseball. I did get the chance to – to watch a good bit of uh, you know scrimmage activity in the fall, get a little bit of an idea about the ball club. I actually haven't been around them uh, here in the in the spring so far, but I've been you know looking over everything and looking at the teams we're playing. And I mean, this is pretty special to open uh, with this. Uh, we've we've had other years where we've had some really good early tournaments. We played the the deal down in uh, in New Orleans a number of years where there were really good teams when we challenged uh, with. Mississippi teams versus Louisiana teams and some of that. But but this is really, a, I think, a special event out in Arlington playing in the same stadium that they played the World Series this past year and played three teams that are really, really good. So so this is, this is special. And I think it's special, though, just to be playing baseball and, and looking at uh, hopefully a full season and, and postseason this year uh, for college baseball. So it's, it's, a, it's a nice time. Jim, I was down in New Orleans a couple of weeks ago uh, for the Saints game. And I'm sitting there going, you know what? I wish, I wish we could play baseball down here for like a 
early tournament. Did you enjoy going down to the Superdome? Did they do a nice job down there? I mean, how was that set up down there for those? And, of course, then we went to the Metrodome once and played up in Minneapolis. Did you like playing those early climate-controlled games in Dome Stadiums? Well, I liked it in, uh, in Minnesota because it was snow on the ground outside when we played in Minnesota. At least it snowed one day, and it was snow out on the ground. But but uh, they were all good experiences. I really enjoyed uh, going. I think we went maybe three or four times uh, to New Orleans, and that was a very good event. Uh, it was a it was a bit of a short porch field, uh, uh, so the, the ball really carried in, in the dome. Uh, but we had some great ball games down there. And, of course, uh, with LSU and uh, University of New Orleans and Tulane, you had three really good ball clubs generally that you were playing against. Uh, so so it was it was good competition, and it was a lot of fun. And uh, I, I think it was good. But, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not sure I want indoor baseball, though, uh, in, 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 a, in a football stadium uh, to be played on a regular basis. I think uh, I'd much rather be outdoors on a, on a regular field and, you can't beat the, the venues you have in the Southeastern Conference now. You go into these opening weekends, and obviously it's just tremendous competition that we'll be facing right off the bat. A lot of times we get hung up in wins and losses, but Bart and I were looking back at some of these tournaments, and I think 1990 you end up going to the World Series, but you go one and two in that opening tournament. What are you looking for in this opening weekend? Is it wins? Is it good play? What are the things you hope to see? Well, you're really. I'm. I'm interested to see uh, what our pitching looks like. Everybody's talked about how how good it is. Uh, I, I think it is going to be good. Uh, but we've got guys. I think the one thing that Scott Foxall said the other day, which is is really true, uh, we don't have many SEC wins on the staff. This is a staff that hasn't had great experience in pitching in the Southeastern Conference. And although the the three that are going to be the rotation this year, and Christian McLeod and Will Bednar and Eric Sarantola all have big-time uh, stuff, as they say. All, all have uh, are, are certainly quality pitchers, but, but none have pitched in the SEC much at all. And so it's going to be a different, uh, you know, you, it's, it's a different thing when you get to this point. And this, these are going to be SEC-caliber ball clubs you're going to be facing. Uh, I'm interested in seeing what that looks like and, and then look at the way that they try to p- put it together behind this this threesome. I think this pitching staff does have a chance to be an outstanding pitching staff, but but you have to do it. Uh, the other thing I guess I'll look for is what we do at third base and what we do in left field, because I think those are the two spots uh, that uh, Mississippi State is going to to possibly even platoon some. Uh, but uh, when you look in the outfield, you know you got Rowdy Jordan in center, and you know you got Tanner Allen in right. It looks like Hatcher is certainly going to be your first baseman. Scotty DeBrule is going to be your second baseman. And, and, and obviously, uh, Cameron James is going to be your shortstop. So, so those are the two positions behind the plate. I think there's some depth and there's really quality back there with the two, maybe three. Uh, but, but I'm interested to see how how effective is this pitching against really good hitting ball clubs, and what do we do at third, and what do we do in left field? You know, Jim, looking back at my life as a Mississippi State fan, it always seems like I'm used to talking about the hitting that we have and hoping that we have enough pitching to get through it. I was trying to think back. You know, there's some times in the late 80s, early 90s, where we had an established rotation. As you think back through Mississippi State baseball, can you think of a team that this compares to in the way that it sets up to be potentially so pitching dominant of an approach? I think there's probably, and and Scott Foxhall said he had never been around a staff with more, you know, more potential than this staff. 
so I think it's probably this pro- this staff is probably deeper, and and part of that's because that you have uh, players coming back that probably wouldn't have been back this year had we not had the pandemic. Uh, but it's going to be uh, there. There, I think we had. I think I looked at the roster. We had either twenty six or twenty seven pitchers on the roster. Obviously, you can't pitch that many. I've always thought you only could pitch about eight or nine. I think now you think coaches think about twelve to thirteen, uh, but still. It's uh, about half of those guys can actually be contributors on a regular basis uh, for the ball club at the most. So what the, the key is to, 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 to be able to figure out uh, who that 10 to 13 guys that are going to get most of the innings are and then uh, sort of zero in on that because it, repetition is, is tremendously important for pitching. But I can't look back and think of a deeper. We've had some pretty good rotations in the past, and I can't think back where you got the depth of the rotation and then you talk about the guys who, who you don't really pencil in probably as weekend starters, but you've got to find a spot because they're so valuable. A guy like a, a Landon Sims who, who could be a starter but maybe a, a back-end guy. You don't know really what you're going to do with him. And then you've got some of the young players, uh, young pitchers, who they've got to find a spot for. So, so I really think that this is maybe as deep a staff as I can remember. Uh, I don't know whether – uh, and it's going to be interesting to see who is the dominant, maybe a pitcher out of the threesome. Are are they all three dominant, or how does that work? We've had some really good starting pitching in past years uh, from individuals. Uh, maybe too deep to be three deep is very difficult. And uh, to, I think this squad is three deep. And if somebody falters along the way, I think there's probably a couple that could step in there and still have a very good weekend rotation. I think that's the key in this league. If you've got three really quality starters in this league, you've got a chance to win a lot of games. Jim, you mentioned Landon, Landon Sims, and then you've got uh, Brandon Smith and some of those guys. You're trying to get everything to the end if you had to have them, and you can use those guys as starters if you had to. But the, the thing that stands out to me is you know, you've got so many guys, and we've talked about this a good bit about you kind of wonder – how short the leash will be. You know, you've got so many guys down in the bullpen. I mean, it's this is not going to be very easy. Sometimes you ha- you can have too many options. It, it's going to be interesting to see how Scott Foxhall can can get everybody some innings. You know, he talked about uh, – he was talking about Landon Sims the other day, and he talked about the fact that Landon Sims might be a 3-4 a inning guy that you use after you get, say, five innings out of one of the starters and – uh, you feel like his pitch count is where you want to get him out of the ball game, or just feel like there's a reason that you'd rather have a fresh new arm in there, and then you bring in Landon Sims or, or a couple or Brandon Smith for that matter, so, so you know whoever it may be, and 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 pitch the the three innings with Sun, and then come back with a closer. I think I think there's some options there. That's a good thing about the staff; it's deep enough in talent that there's some op- options there. The problem you've got is uh, that uh, you've got to figure it out pretty quickly. Uh, I, I, I just look at the schedule. Seven of those first nine games they're going to play are going to be against very good competition. It gets a little easier for the next couple of weeks, and then you get into SEC play. Uh, so it's going to be uh, interesting how Mississippi State uh, gets ready because their first SEC series is on the road at LSU, and then they uh, come back and play a very good Arkansas team in Starkville. Uh, so it's going it's to be interesting to see what happens there. But, but yeah, I think that uh, no doubt, figuring it out, and is, is going to be the, the, the key in the early part of the season because I think you have to figure it out early and then establish something as you go into the SEC schedule. Jim, I know in basketball this year, Neil Price has had to call a number of games 
from here in Starville. So games on the road, he's watching a video monitor. We spoke with Ben McDonald last week. ESPN has sent him a basically an in-house studio to be prepared to broadcast games from home. What's it going to look like for you this year? Are you going to be able to go on the road? Is it going to be week to week? What do you expect your job to look like? Well, that's a good question. Right now, uh, I'm planning to go to Arlington, Texas, uh, and, and do those games out there to start the season. And then I think uh, the plan is to, to be at the ball games, if at all possible. Uh, a couple of the SEC schools, are not sure whether they will have a visitor's radio booth available, so there may be some series that we have to do from studio. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the plan is right now to try to be at the venues to do the ball games. I think in baseball it, it makes a lot of sense, uh, but certainly I want to do what uh, the protocols, you know, call for. And so we're, we're looking at that. But uh, those are the plans right now. Uh, I, I've watched a good bit of basketball, some football, uh, certainly, uh, there have been uh, adjustments made. I think the, the listening audience or the viewing audience has watched and have been able to make adjustments. But, but I do think that it takes some things away from the broadcast. And I think it makes it very difficult, uh, particularly for the nuances of the game to be. Uh, you just don't see everything on a monitor that you see if you're there live. And in baseball, that's particularly true where you've got players scattered out all over the field and uh, every, every venue is different. The field didn't look like and every, every, uh, every basketball court is the same size. Every football field is the same size. So you know what you're looking at there. In baseball, you've got a lot of different things that you're looking at because no, no two fields are just alike. So I, I do think, think it's uh, an advantage if you can be at the venue, but I'm, I'm well aware that there may be times that we won't be able to be at the venue during the season. Talking with Jim Ellis, Jim, it's kind of crazy. You know, you mentioned just a moment ago about the cathedrals that we play baseball in now, and you talk about broadcasting from a studio if you have to do that. But looking back 25, 30 years ago, baseball was kind of the stepchild. And it's almost like we had to do some crazy things to get on the air. You know, Charlie's done a lot of high school. I did a lot of high school back in the day where you're, you're running line and things like, of that nature. What's the craziest vantage point you've had to broadcast a baseball game from? Well, I, well a couple. Of course, in, in the conference, we used to broadcast Vanderbilt uh, in the old stadium at Vanderbilt, which was built right up under the football stadium almost. And you, we broadcast from on top of the third base dugout. And I'll never forget one game. We Joe Deere was with me, and uh, Joe Deere held a, rained the whole ball game almost. And Joe Deere stood beside me and held a rain uh, umbrella over the equipment so the equipment would get wet. So that 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 was a venue that that we had to run into a number of times. Uh, I, I've had some crazy places. I, I broadcast. Uh, I, we played West Florida one year uh, down in. Uh, this would have been back in the '80s, but we played West Florida down in Pensacola. Uh, in a game, and I, I was on top of the dugout, and we were actually, uh, we had a, a Marty unit, which is, uh, uh, you know, sort of a little shortwave that that was sending the signal back to the radio station uh, in Pensacola, and then our, our station back here in Startville dialed up the Pensacola station with a phone line, so I was sending it back on this Marty unit to that station. The station was dialing in, and I'm sitting on the roof of the dugout with an antenna uh about 10 feet over my head, big antenna sitting up there, and I'm broadcasting the ball game, and about the fifth inning, 
a thunderstorm comes up and there there's lightning all over the sky and I'm about to climb down off of there and finally the the, the cloud bursts and the rain comes down and I I get soaking wet but I get out off there with my equipment and I, I that was the most relieved I've ever been to see rain come because I wasn't <laughs> sitting up there much longer uh, I thought it, I thought lightning had hit the, the outfield po- uh, wall one time it was so close so anyway there've been there've been a lot of strange venues to broadcast from and it was a a different era back in the early days. Yeah, that's what's so funny is how hard you used to work to get on the air, and now with today's technology, even though it's not is it's not the the, the best option. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be a way to get it on remotely. That's where where we are in the world today. Jim, uh, I'll tell you what. Before we let you go, you know, we talked about the pitching, but one thing about having a very deep pitching staff is. Those are the guys your hitters get to see every day at practice and in the fall. What do you think that's that pitching staff is going to do with this lineup? When you start talking about some veterans in the lineup, we got some newcomers as well to mix in. Just seeing the quality pitching for a Tanner Allen, a Josh Hatcher, and some of those guys in the lineup, what do you think that does for your offense, especially early in the season? Well, I, I certainly think it's uh, it's it's productive for them to to see the kind of of pitching that they're going to see during the year. And they certainly uh, have been facing it all fall and now uh, here in the spring. Uh, but so I think, I, I know Tanner, Tanner Allen said the other day that it does nothing, but he said, we're, we're not going to see any better pitching in the, in the games than, than we see in practice because he said that staff is really, really good. But then he went on to say, and I thought it was a, an interesting observation, but he says it's not the same in a scrimmage game as it is in a real game. Uh, and he said uh, everything is a little more uh, tense. He said uh, you you have to be able to take relax and take what you what you found out in the, in the on the practice field and take it to the games with you. So he said it's not as simple as that. But he says certainly it's a big advantage to see that kind of uh, pitching uh, throughout the the week. But I'll be honest with you, when I look at the the, the rosters of the teams around this league, there are going to be a lot of teams with big arms. We're going to see a lot of good pitching in the Southeastern Conference this year. Uh, teams are probably, because of the, so many players coming back and the, the fact that the draft uh, not only didn't take away uh, a, a number of players who uh, would have, pitchers who would have not been back, but uh, if, if it had been more than a five round draft, they'd have gotten drafted and they would have signed. And you also have the same thing coming out of high school. You don't have nearly as many of the good pitchers taken out of high school because of the, the, the draft being just a five-round uh, draft. So we're going to see a lot of good arms. It's going to be interesting. I think the key is the fact that we've got a lot of veterans. You, with uh, with a Rowdy Jordan, uh, with a Tanner Allen, a Josh Hatcher, a Scotty DeBrule, uh, a Luke Hancock. Uh, we've got a lot of guys who've seen a lot of good pitching uh, for two or three years now. That's not going to be a surprise to them. Jim, we appreciate it. Looking forward to next weekend. It's hard to believe baseball is finally here. Thank you so much. Good to, good to talk with you guys. Uh, uh, I hope it's a, a fun season. I hope it's a safe season. I wish you guys the best. And that's the voice of the Diamond Dogs, Jim Ellis, previewing the season. Mississippi State on the road next weekend out in Arlington, Texas, taking on Texas, TCU, and Texas Tech. When Charlie and I come back, uh, we'll take a look at some of these opening day starters, opening day guys on the mound. And once again, our guest line segment has been brought to you by our friends at Heartland Catfish. If you're in the in the market and need a big old box of catfish for the big fish fry, we're getting into the springtime. Fish fry, you got the hush puppies. A lot of people, do you put onion 
You put onion on your fish. I don't. I've never understood putting the the raw onion in the rings on top of fish. No, 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 absolutely not. I don't do that. I know a lot of people do. But anyway, if you're getting those uh, catfish for your fries, get Heartland Catfish from over the Mississippi Delta. Back with more on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Time now for our look back in Bulldog history, brought to you by Country Pleasing Sausage. Country Pleasing. They're making all that great Country Pleasing Sausage down on Highway 49 in Florence. Dodge all the traffic. Dodge all the, the construction. Get down there. But it's worth the drive down to Florence. You can go into Country Meat Packers. They've got everything you need for your tailgate. But... Of course, the cornerstone is that great country-pleasing sausage that, that they sell in a lot of grocery stores throughout the southeast and also in some of the finest restaurants in America. So country-pleasing sausage bringing you our look back at Bulldog history. And, Charlie, I, th- I thought uh, when we start talking about next weekend and opening day, and you know, the question is, is, is it Christian McLeod going to be the starting pitcher? You think that's going to be the case? But looking back at some of these opening day starters, and, and I capped it at 2000, so I thought it would be interesting. I was going to go through and just kind of ask you the year. I want to see if you remember some of these guys. I'm sure you do. But here's what's well, fun. So you're capping it at 2000. Yeah, I'm I mean, capping- we're not going to talk about Robin Jeter in 83 or – you know, Brantley got the opening day start in 84 and 85. Well, Bobby we only, Reed in 89. We only have just a few minutes. Right, we, I mean, well. we don't have a two-hour show. We're, we can ask WFCA next year if we can get the two-hour <laughs> show. That's what we could do. Okay, 2000. In the year 2000, this one's an easy one. This was a guy that stayed Friday night all season long. All right, so what's interesting about this, I think I know the answer. Because in 2000, this is a guy – I'm going to let you tell me if I'm warm here, okay? I remember him most coming out of the bullpen. Uh, okay. Kevin Donovan, that's yeah, him. Yeah, so we remember him at the end of the year coming out of the bullpen against Notre Dame. Yes. But, yeah, I think he was your Friday guy. Friday guy throughout the entire season. 2001, the Friday guy changed very early in the season. The guy that got the opening day start in 2001 was a guy that's dear to my heart. And that's Joey Collins. Joey Collins drew the start. You know why he's, he's dear to my heart? The first baseball game I ever broadcast at Mississippi State, Jim walked in on a Thursday night, Thursday afternoon. We're getting ready to leave the office. And he says, hey, I need you to broadcast the baseball game tomorrow night. And the game was Friday night, Super Bowl weekend, and we were playing LSU. And Joey Collins was the starting pitcher for State. I didn't sleep that night. I was scared to death. Jim did TV. I did the radio. So, Joey Collins, he started the season on Friday nights. And against whom? Do you remember who he started against in 2001? No. That would be your Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. That's right. And you know how I remember that is because, remember, you had that exciting regional in 2000, and then we had the NBC Classic. Yep. To open the year, we got Notre Dame to come back down, and they beat us twice to start the year. But so, Collins was the game one guy. Stayed the game one guy for a few weeks, and then Tanner Brock became the Friday night guy. But then it morphed as the season went on to a freshman by the name of Paul Mahalam. That was back in 2001. 2002, Tanner Brock was your opening day starter. You remember Tanner Brock, the right-hander? He was so good 
He had a good breaking ball, but just a guy that commanded the zone. So it was Tanner Brock in 2002. 2003, of course, being a junior, we mentioned him just a moment ago. Paul Mahalan drew the start. And, Charlie, here's the thing. I talked about this back in the opening segment. It was Derek Griffith, the guy from Birmingham Southern, who came in there. That game lasted like two hours and 15 minutes. Four to one, Birmingham Southern beat Mississippi State on opening day 2003, and Paul Mahalan was our starting pitcher. You know, it's interesting. We tend to think about all these pitchers that we've had, and you assume that we win a lot of those games on opening day. You know, we lost in 83. You know, I was talking about that earlier, the Robin Jeter start. That was Palmero's first game. He hit the home run, and you know who we lost to? We lost to Mississippi College. And so, Could you imagine that happening now? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Could you imagine? In the days was, of the internet and oh, Twitter, that would be a meltdown. 2004, here was my question mark. I was trying to look through all the stats. I think Jamie Gant may have been the starting pitcher in 2004. Not exactly sure. I know he he's the guy of pitcher. He's the pitcher of record for the opening game of 2004, but it may not have been. He started a number of games that year. He did. But I think it was Jamie Gant. Now, in 2005, one of the guys who was a starter on that 2004 team that I know drew the start in 2005 was Alan Johnson. Remember Alan Johnson? Yes. You know, Alan Johnson was, you know, the right-hander, didn't throw extremely hard, but he had some of those great outings. He, I mean, just shut down LSU, had the big outing up at Ole Miss. That may have been like 2003, 2004. He did like one year of JUCO and then came here. Yeah, one year of junior college. He was like from Pleasant Grove, Alabama, I think. But he ended up in the big leagues. Pitched for the Colorado Rockies for a year or two. So, Alan Johnson, 2005. Okay, so 2005. Then he come back in 2006. We won the SEC tournament in 2005. Then in 2006, who do you think drew the start in 2006? You know, that's a tough one. I, I would have guessed – you know, there was another Johnson. There was Josh Johnson yes. on that team. There was Brooks Dunn got a lot of starts Brooks that year. Dunn. It was Brooks Dunn. It was Brooks Dunn got the start in the SEC championship game in 2005 and pitched so well that day. And then he was your opening day starter and your Friday night guy for a good portion of that season in 2006. That was the year we went to Georgia Tech and played in the regional over there. Or was that the Miami year? 2005 was Georgia Tech. 2006 was Miami. 2007. Okay, here's your question mark. I, this one blew me away because I forgot about this guy. 2007, the year we went to the College World Series, you start thinking about the guys who were in the starting role that year. Who was your opening day guy in 2007? Boy, I would have guessed in 2007 that you're talking probably Pygott or Crosswhite maybe? Nope. Aaron Weatherford. Aaron Weatherford drew the opening day start. Weatherford, yes. Weatherf- you know, obviously, we think about him out of the bullpen. Yeah, it, wow. That's uh, no. I, I was going to miss that. And what's crazy is to open that season, he walked the first three batters of the season, then got out of the first inning, and then we moved into the bullpen late, and he was just so lights out in the bullpen later that year. One of the main reasons we went to the College World Series in 2007 because he was so good on the back end. But he was the opening day starter in 2007. And now, so did Pygott become our Friday night guy? Yes, and then Pygott was the Friday night guy the next year as well in 2008. Pygott drew the opening day start in 2008 for Mississippi State. Okay, so 2009, there was a right-hander. This was the first game of the John Cohen era. 
who was your Friday night guy in 2009? I'll give you a hint. This guy was crazy close to a no-hitter in 2008. Then that would be Ricky Bowen. Ricky Bowen. And you know what? I cost him his no-hitter. I was sitting here listening to you guys do the game, and we got late in the ball game. He had no hits, and I said, I'm not missing a no-hitter. And I get over there just in time for the no-hitter to go away. Oh, man, I'm telling you. I broadcast that game on the radio. Jim did the TV side that day. We flew back from the SEC tournament in men's basketball. That was when the tornado hit the dome. Got back over here, and Ricky Bowen got to the ninth inning with a no-hitter. I was a nervous wreck in the ninth inning. 2010, pretty good pitcher. Left-hander, tall. Oh, that's going to be Route then. Nick Route. Nick Route in 2010 was your left-hander. Okay, 2011. Here's, here's a guy that I really hadn't thought of in a while because he was real talented. He was very physical. So from Route the, doesn't get the start in 11? Nope. Devin Jones. From Eupora, Mississippi, Devin Jones, right-hander. Okay, 2012. All right, here's the guy that's, you know, if you remember 2012. Who was your ace in 2012? Chris Stratton, of course. So you think Chris Stratton drew the opening day start. He didn't. Remember, we started that season piggybacking Chris Stratton on the back end of Ben Bracewell. Bracewell. Yep, Ben Bracewell was your starting pitcher in opening day 2012. 2013, the College World Series season. Everybody thinks of Kendall Graveman. All right. Trevor Fitz. I think I know this one. Go ahead. I think this one is going to be a curveball. I mean, this one's going to be off the the beaten path, right? Yep. Lindgren. Yep. Jacob Lindgren. Jacob Lindgren started that game. And I thought I, I thought Lingren started the next year in 2014, but he didn't. The 2014 season opener, and we've talked to him on the show, Brandon Woodruff. Woody only lasted an inning. Remember, we were coming off the World Series. Everybody's flying high. We think we're going to be really good in 2014. And then Woody comes out on opening day against Western Carolina, and we lose. And he, he lasts just one inning. Now, Ross Mitchell went the following eight. <laughs> Ross yeah. in relief went went the next eight, but we lost by one on opening day of 2014, and Brandon Woodruff drew the start. Then the next year, 2015, that was the year that we kind of tailed off at the end. I was thinking it was going to be maybe a Dakota Hudson or Austin Sexton. Laster started a number of games that year. Laster, no, Preston Brown. Preston Brown, that's right. He started a lot of games that year. Yeah, the doctor. Preston Brown, I mean, he was just a studious guy. I like old Preston. I think he listens to the show a lot. He tweets us some. 2016, that's the easy one. That is Dakota Hudson. That was the year Dakota was just so lights out. We had back-to-back guys in 17 and 18. Same guy in 17 and 18, of course. That's the big left-hander in. Boy, 17, 18, who could it be? I'll huh. to go Connor Pilkington there. <laughs> Connor Pilkington, 2019. Another lefty. Another lefty. Ethan Small. Ethan Small. Who was your starting pitcher last year on opening day? I think we started Ginn last year. Yes, started JT Ginn on opening day last year. So, JT Ginn was your starter last year on opening day. So, anyway. So, you know what's really interesting there? You only named one back-to-back. Yep. And – you know, I know that Brantley, I would bet that Bobby Reed started back-to-back. You know, I would in the major think. leagues, that's such a big deal to be the opening day guy. 
probably not as much in college, but there's still something to it. Isn't it there? is. You know, Kendall was the opening day starter for the A's a few years ago. Anyway, so that's a look at your opening day starters in Mississippi State baseball from 2000 to right now. Charlie and I will come back with a final word. That look back at Bulldog history brought to you by Country Pleasing Sausage. Go uh, get some of that original jalapeno cheddar, pineapple pork. It's all good at Country Pleasing. Back with a final word. You're listening to Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back. Final segment out of left field presented by Farm Bureau. Bart Gregory, Charlie Winfield. Well, we muddled through another one, Charlie. This was a good one. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed talking to Jim. I enjoyed talking about the opening day starters. College baseball starting next week. It's going to be cold this weekend. Going to wrap your pipes. Got to wrap your pipes this weekend. Yeah, run your water, right? Run your water, wrap your pipes. Going to be cold. I've got softball. I said that early in the show. I've got softball on Saturday. Noontime doubleheader. Come on out. You know, come out. <laughs> save you a seat. <laughs> and here's the thing. With I think the, social distancing will be an issue. Oh, my goodness. It's going to be so cold. So, Jim brought up some good points. And, you know, looking in the season, at the end of the day, we've, we've said it ad nauseum, everybody's going to be good. I think that the people that are going to really enjoy this season are the true baseball people. I've oh, I think to, that's a great point. I, th- I think, and I've talked to a number of people already. The junior colleges started last week, and I've talked to a couple of junior college coaches. And it's crazy when you start talking about Mississippi junior college baseball about how I hate to say the word incestuous, but it is. But all these guys are friends, and I've talked to a couple of junior college guys, and they talk about just how good the baseball has been even in the first two weeks of the year. And I think that's what you're going to see. You know, Division One baseball, the SEC, all the way down into the junior college ranks just because there's so many guys. And they, and they were talking about, hey, we've just got so many options. We have so many guys. you got third-year junior college players right now and the quality of baseball. And they were like, it's good on our end, and it should be exceptional. I came home last weekend, and my son was actually sitting on the couch with an iPad out watching junior college baseball. And he was like, man, Dad, this is good stuff. This is These are very well-played games. Early on, they're pitched well. The guys are battling at the plate. We said last year when everything shut down and the new rules came into place that this was going to be the best year of junior college baseball ever. And I think it's going to be the most talented year of college baseball ever as well. It's going to be at this level in the SEC – it is going to be double-A baseball. It's going to be solid baseball this year, all oh, the way absolutely. around. Should be a lot of fun. Appreciate you hanging out with us. Once again, we're brought to you by Farm Bureau. Go with the home team. They have agents in every county in the state of Mississippi. So if you're looking to change your insurance or you're just proud to be one of us, Farm Bureau customers and Farm Bureau, check them out at Favorites. So for Charlie Winfield, I'm Bart Gregory. Appreciate you hanging out with us. Thanks to our fine friends at WFCA 107.9 and French Camp for carrying the show each and every week. And so until next week, we'll say so long. You've been listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau.